When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Thursday, September 16th, the 2021 season winding down. Just a couple more weeks of Chicago Cubs baseball. And after Thursday's game, Brendan, I think that is a a welcome uh, change for most of us. Uh, The Cubs once again blowing a 7 to nothing lead uh, not the first time that they have done that this season which i think speaks to my point that maybe in a couple weeks when we're we're done with the 2021 Chicago Cubs it'll it'll be for the better for all of us does it feel as if it's been going by fast though like i feel as if the trade deadline wasn't that long yeah. ago and we're like almost done with the season so it's gone faster than i thought at i least. think especially because 2020 was so weird and like we when this season started it was sort of a semblance of normalcy and like fans started trickling in and stuff like that it it did it does feel like it's gone by fast and I think that at least for me that's exacerbated by the fact that like this season has like pretty distinct chunks almost quarters, however you want to divide it up, right? Like, it's really weird for me looking back at, like, a period where, like, Jock Peterson was on the Cubs and, like, they were in first place, right? Like, and then you're watching the game tonight and it's, like, a completely different team, completely different circumstance. So I think that has kind of, like, sped things up because some of that feels like it was just yesterday and it also at the same time feels like it was years ago. Right, like the opening day lineup feels of it as if it were like 2020, for example, like Jock Peterson, Ian Happ as your leadoff guy. You have Javi Baez, like weeks later, flipping off Amir Garrett, which seems like an eternity ago. So in a way, like the next two weeks are going to fly by. In these games on Thursday, you're not going to remember it in three weeks. That's the beauty about these types of bad teams and these late games is you're not going to remember it ever again. This is just how it is. Yeah, I don't think you and I will be reminiscing too much on the 2021 Chicago Cubs, but they do finish up a series in Philadelphia with the Phillies, a three-game set, the Cubs dropping two of those games. Uh, They pretty easily, I I think, could have swept this series, but uh, it does not work out that way. 
and they they dropped two of three, and like I said, the third in pretty spectacular fashion after blowing another seven-run lead. The third time this team has blown a six-plus-run lead that the pitching staff was staked to, so that is not a <laughs> not a particularly good stat uh, that you want to have in your book there. Uh, but Brendan, we we have plenty to talk about, but I, I think where we should start is not somebody on this team, um, and it is someone who is in the organization who we've talked about, and we alluded to this on the last episode that Brendan Davis, the Cubs' number one prospect, we have uh, had the fortune of interviewing him on this show before last summer, and you know we talked about that he was called up to AAA and getting an opportunity there just to finish out the season. Obviously, you know, the Jason Hayward injury situation moves some things around, open up uh, a spot at AAA, and that season, uh, you know, a little longer so he can continue playing. And Brendan, uh, this is hard for me to say because I'm going from Brendan to Brennan, uh, but I I can do it. it. I have to enunciate, right? Uh, But Brennan Davis has been in AAA for three games. His third game is going on at the moment, as we record this at about 9.40 Central Time in Chicago. He has three home runs, Brendan, in in, in three days at AAA. So, uh, like, he, he's going to have a short stint there, and, you know, we can obviously look at, at the bulk of the work that he did at AA this year, but this has kind of that early you know, rebuild, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Jorge Soler, you know, they're all very different players, but it has that vibe where you're like checking the box scores, you're seeing these highlights, and you start to kind of salivate at the future, right? Because you're just seeing this guy move from the different levels, continue to perform, have those expectations. He gets called up to AAA. Everybody's like, oh, okay, let's see what he looks like here. Another challenge for him, et cetera three home runs in three days. And it just has that feel of like, okay, how soon is this guy at Wrigley? I, I can't wait to see what he does on a daily basis. It's It's got that excitement, man. Who knows what ha- what happens with the new CBA and when that's going to change different clocks and whatnot, but he's, he's ready. He's gone to the point where he'll be making his major league debut and it could be happening in a very significant way next year. He could be starting in this lineup as soon as, you know, next May, right. next June. It's not crazy to even think about that. So that is exciting. And I don't know how the Cubs are going to be interpreting his development and projecting him for 2022 in the context of free agents. Like, do they go out and sign and commit to a center fielder, even though, the Brennan Davis who might play center field, similar in the corner. Do they want to go out and commit to someone in the corner if they actually intend to use Brennan in the corner and then to sign a center fielder? Who, who knows? That's that's going to be the fascinating part. And I feel as if as the offseason goes along here, we're going to be able to at least infer what they think of Brennan for a 2022 role based on who they sign. They end up signing like you know very minimal guys in the outfield. That might signal, all right, they have higher maybe more confident projections than, than 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 most. But he does deserve this. And for him to get to trip away, it is it is a you know, it's a big deal, but it's a way to extend his development. The season's gonna be longer in AAA. It's not as if it's like, you know, this massive promotion. He was he's he's been ready. Like next year, if he even if he didn't go to Iowa, right? Like 
he probably would have just skipped AAA, as Kyle Schwarber has done, and and Nico Horner has done in years past, and other infielders way back in the mid-2010s, they've done that as well. So he's ready, he's going to be here, and so far, like, I mean, he has that 60 future value on an 80 scale. That is within those top-tier prospects we've been used to talking about a decade ago. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, like you said, to kind of see what they do there and, you know, what kind of moves uh, tip their hand. Like, he's he's an interesting case at the moment because, obviously, as he's moved up these levels, he's met pretty much every challenge. Um, he continues to rate near the top of whatever league that he's in, in, in so many different categories. But he's 21 years old. He does not turn 22 until November 2nd, which you might remember is a significant date. I do. Uh, as the Cubs it won is. the World Series on that date. I think in the Ooh. central time zone, in the eastern time zone, I think technically they won the World Series on the 3rd. Uh, but either way, he was born on the day the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Uh, but he's 21 years old, so he turns 22 in you know a, a month and a half or whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach this in terms of, you know, are you ready to say, yeah, he's ready, put him out there, he can help us win now, like there's no point in messing around with him at AAA for too long. Um, are you, you know, more careful in, in that kind of thinking, thinking, hey, he's 22 years old, like he's a huge prospect for us, let's make sure uh, he's ready. But at this point, Brendan, like I don't, I don't know what else – he would have to show them. I mean, I suppose you could be interested in him putting together a, a larger sample at AAA, but, you know, like you noted, that's not necessarily been um, something the organization has prioritized completely in the past. And really, when you look at a lot of top prospects, that's not necessarily how it always goes. You know, if they if they have the success at AA and even a little bit of kind of continuing that at AAA, that, that sometimes is enough for organizations to be like, yeah, he's he's doing this. And you look at some of the stuff that Brennan does in particular, um, I, I believe one of these three home runs in Iowa was on an 0-2 pitch. You know, he's going oppo. He's driving the ball to center. He has that power to the pull side as well. He's hitting breaking balls for home runs. He's hitting fastballs for home runs. He's hitting low pitches out you know, down and away for home runs. Like, again, like, you know, you're still talking at the minor league levels. So you, of course, need to see this against the quality, quality pitching. But in terms of like those little adjustments, and I think when we've had Greg Huss on here from the Growing Cubs podcast before, he's talked about this, like he do, he checks all of those boxes. You know, you're seeing him do some of the most impressive and most difficult stuff that you'd be asking for a young minor league hitter, let alone a guy that's 21 years old. Yeah, we'll see how his spring training goes. If, if he's having, in the coach's eyes, successful adjustments, maybe he's making more contact based on some changes he he ends up making. Who knows? I wouldn't say he's going to go out and start in 2022, but given how there's going to be a new CBA unless they go on strike, maybe they end up doing that, even though like I would give that maybe a 5% chance. But the fact that it's even like within the realm of possibility just goes, goes to show you like how fast he has developed. I'm on his Fangraphs page right now, and they have an ETA for him, and this was made years ago, of, of 2023. So he is ahead of, of most 
scouting standards. And to have a 60 out of 80 future value, really good. And currently on Fangraph's top 100 list, ranks as number 13. He's the 13th overall prospect by Fangraphs. That that that's that's a big deal. I don't know if it were me if I would be like, all right, day one, you're you're my starter or whatever. But given how this timeline might be shorter or longer, if it is longer, maybe there's an argument to be made, absent of timing, service time issue that he needs to get at bats and do do so from day one of 2022. That would be the fast anything. But to have like a few extra games here in AAA, kind of get, you know, his 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 bearings on straight in a new clubhouse, on a new team, facing a lot of major league pitchers who might otherwise be with their big league team right now, that's significant. He's knocking on the door. He's going to be up in 2022. It's just a matter of, is it going to be April? Is it going to be May? Is it going to be June? It's going to be within the first half, I would say, of 2022. There's a greater than 50% chance in my in my opinion. Yeah, I I I agree with you, and um, you know, I, I it, of course this all depends on what the Cubs are doing, right? As we've talked about a lot, are they really aggressively competing? Are they kind of you know taking 2022 as more of a bridge year, whatever? So that obviously factors into the plans, but. I, you know, just generally, I, I don't necessarily, of course, I don't want them to rush what they do with Brendan Davis, but you are starting to get that sense of just like, I want to see this guy. I want to see him at Wrigley Field in a Chicago Cubs uniform and being productive for the major league team, right? And and as long as yeah. there's no grave concerns within the organization that, you know, something has not been ironed out, which I, I, I don't really think that that's there. Um, you know, again, you don't want to rush this stuff, but the, I, I guess what I mean is I, I don't want to play this too carefully, I suppose, right? And, and you know, wait and wait and wait um, for that, so you want to see him yeah, start? Yeah, I mean, I want to see the guy play, right? Like, and 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 especially like you look around the league, and you know, it's not a it's not a perfect comparison, right? But like the Blue Jays certainly come to mind, like the, a team that just has such a, a a wealth of young talent that they brought up, and you know, they're like these guys can be competing for us. They can be helping us win now. We need to wait until you know they've gotten as much triple A seasoning as possible, right? And it just seems like Brennan has made those adjustments. He has that head about him. Um, you know, so again, not trying to rush anything. It's not like a gimme, 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 like right away. But also don't want to, you know, be playing with, you know, treating him with kid gloves yeah. if it's not necessary, right? If you believe he can be helping you win, bring well, him up and let him help you do it at the major league level. Well, the there's two ways to think about it too. So the, the the first way is if he comes up and let's say they they start a service time early in 2022, then maybe you give him more opportunities and a faster way to adjust. If he has to go through these natural adjustments, if, even if the team is not competitive in a World Series sense, at least get him to a point where you're adjusting in a non-competitive way, if that makes sense. Like, it might be harder, and maybe this was the case for past Cubs, like Schwarber and Nico and those guys who came up, uh, basically skipping AAA. Maybe it does give this, like, Brennan Davis and this next crop of players, 
if they can come up early and and, ad- and adjust and go through the adjustment process, it might be better for their careers. On the other hand, though, maybe they do want him to make those adjustments away from the team because the team right. is not competitive. So there's like two ways to think about this. And the the one area where he may need to improve upon, who I, I mean, all we have is is strikeout rate. But he has he had a 31% strikeout rate in in AA. And that's doable at the big league level if you're going to be swatting, you know, 30 plus home runs a year. That's that's fine. But I imagine they want that contact rate to improve. And other guys in in the past in this organization, they have been able to do that. Chris Bryant's a prime example. He had a bottom five percentile contact rate when he came up to the Cubs, and he left above league average uh, away from the Cubs, sadly. So, and he did that at the major league level, by the way. So it, it depends. This is all to say this is a very individualistic move by the Cubs. If they think he's ready to play big league ball, then he'll be playing. But if the team is not competitive, in a weird way, I can see them like doing either or, where they keep him down in AAA, let him go through those adjustments that way, or bring him up and say, you know what, this team is not that good anyway. Let's just get that adjustment process started now. And if the team is competitive, then I don't know. I feel as if if you're trying to compete, I don't really see alternatives outside of of more free agent signings they end up doing than, than a Brennan Davis based on that type of projection. So it might make sense from day one and be, and be like, you know what? We just signed these three hitters in our lineup. The alternative is... Jason Hayward, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe maybe Brennan Davis should be starting day one. It will be fascinating to see how it all plays yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, uh, depending on what the Cubs are doing, you can kind of look at that either way, right? Either this environment is good for him to be coming up yeah. or it's bad. And I think the Cubs being competitive or not, you can kind of look at either situation in, in, in both regards. But either way, it's exciting what he's doing. And it's exciting to have this level of a prospect again, who is, you know, really on the cusp of coming up and, and being a part of the major league team and, and getting us all excited about well, it that. Feels, it feels the same way uh, that Chris Bryant debuted, right? He ended 2014, you know, crushing double A and it seemed inevitable. He spent one month in Iowa in, in, in April in 2015. And, and then he came up like for the, for the other Cubs prospects, you know, it was a midseason call up. It was very different where they like they were crushing it and they just, you know, they called him up. Like like Rizzo was a July call up. Um, you know, Javi was a, a I believe a June or July call up as well in twenty fourteen. So it might be it might be this Chris Bryant trajectory where if they are competitive, he might be up within a few weeks. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, really, I think I've told you guys before that I no longer have a jersey that has an active player on it. So I am interested in Brennan being called up uh, sooner rather than later and knowing what that jersey number is because I need a new one. And uh, yeah, that seems like a pretty obvious choice to start this this new era or whatever. But I I know that we talked about Kyle Hendricks kind of a good bit recently, and he had been on a, a better run, coming off a, a solid start in his last outing, and just another clunker in Philadelphia. And I, I hate to keep putting you on the spot on this, but what what really jumps out to me, and I, I guess 
is why I'm bringing this up. This was a short start for him in the finale against the Phillies. Three and two-thirds, six hits, seven earned runs, three walks, and one strikeout. His ERA now at 4.81 on the season. And again, blowing a seven to nothing lead, um, you know, basically single-handedly. What, what, obviously that line is bad. And so I'm not thrilled with that, whatever. Um, But in a meaningless game, like who cares, right? But what does jump out to me is that he walked in a run again. And this is like the second time he's done this in the last few starts. And that just feels really uncharacteristic for Kyle as someone who uh, I just would gamble on not walking in runs. And you look at this line, he walked more guys than he struck out. You know, this Phillies lineup has some good hitters in it. Bryce Harper is having an amazing year. Um, A lot of guys, you know, kind of struggling though. A lot of OPSs in the the 600s and 700s. Um, But I don't know, Brendan. Like I'm watching this, I'm like Kyle. I I, I texted you right away. Like Kyle just just walked in another run. Like what is the deal? What is going on with this? Is he is he phoning it in because these games don't matter and he's sort of stuck as one of the lone remaining members on this uh, you know disbanded team? I, you you've pointed out a lot of the stuff that you've been looking at mechanically, sequencing all that other stuff, but. Like I, I'm not like on the ledge here, but him walking, yeah, you sound him like walking it. in runs is weird, and it and it's it's it seems like it it's you know sending some alarms for me. For for pitchers in the past, they end up sucking because their stuff sucks. They have age related decline. Ariad is a perfect example. John Lester right now, that's another example where he's not throwing 94, 95 with that sharp cutter as he used to. Kyle's not doing that. His stuff is not declining. His, his curveball spin rate is now in the 90th percentile. It went up from the 50th to the 90th. So he's improving other secondary pitches. Yeah, his command right now is off. I don't know the reason for it. If you look at some of like the stack ass peripherals, horizontal release point, vertical release point, it's nothing outrageous. It's within career norms. There's like no deviations. So it's not popping out from, uh, at least from that type of data. Now, there might be some other stuff internally. I'm not sure, but the root of his cause is command. That That's it. His walk rate is up. His contact rate is up from 76% last year to 81% this year. And that's being mapped back to his changeup, which is not getting whiffs, which is not being by the heat map and in, in, in the zone profile is not being located in a very precise manner as it was, for example, last year. So if this stuff were age-related decline, then yeah, I would be like really, really, really concerned. I'm not saying, oh, he's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Of course, there's a possibility that's not the case. But I feel as if given a Kyle's history, especially going through some mechanical funks in 2017, he figured that out. I feel as if if there's one pitcher to figure out command and mechanics and sharpening that command, it is Kyle. I don't think he has to rewrite the book and make up for lost velocity or make up for a declining spin rate. That's not what's going on here. This is not your early to mid-30s age-related decline pitcher. So, I don't know how, what you want to make of that, Corey. I don't know if that's going to make you feel better. 
for for me, yeah, you want to see that sub three ERA, and he does not deserve that this year, and he's never been a high FIP guy, but it's my it's just my perspective that when the stuff is still there, which it is, it's just a matter of ironing things out with with Hadavi and based on past performances. And would you bet against Kyle doing that? I would not. No, I wouldn't so, either. So that's where I fall back on. Again, I don't know if that's going to make people feel better, but he's going to be a staple in this rotation next year. I think a lot of our expectations are going to remain high. And just to keep emphasizing this point, the stuff is there. There's no decline in stuff. Again, his curveball spin rate, maybe that becomes a more feature pitch. It's in the 90th percentile now. He drastically improved that pitch. Just a matter of getting that command back into shape. Yeah, all right, that's fair. I mean, I, I just think it's uh, it's worth bringing up when he can't hold a 7 to nothing lead. But you know it's different, though. It's like, remember uh, 20, I mean, 2017 is a good example. Even 2016 towards the second half, when you're seeing Arietta and his velocity is like, oh, no, like what's going on here? It's 92 miles per hour. It's not 94 right. anymore. And then you look at the sudden very quick change in pitch usage away from the slider and you're seeing like these massive release point changes which we now know is because of injuries that's the concerning aspect that's that's what should have concerned everyone and it concerned me which is why we talked about it exhaustively i'm sure you you know you were sick of it at the time, you probably still are. But this is not the same type of scenario with Kyle. So I don't think it deserves the same amount of concern. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, moving on to someone who is uh, doing well, just want to point out that Frank Schwindel had another really good series in Philadelphia. Uh, one for five on Tuesday and then he put up a two for five on Wednesday with a home run, and then Thursday, two for four with a walk. So he now has 13 home runs on the year coming out of this series with the Phillies, his average 341 with a 1028 OPS. And as you've alluded to a lot, Brendan, he's a unique mix of someone who is hitting for power and who has a really high contact rate. And he has struck out just once in his last 47 plate appearances. His K percentage is 14th among 192 National League players with at least 160 plate appearances. So, you know, of course, that means that only 13 guys are doing it better. And we've talked about him a lot. We've talked about his potential role and stuff like that, but it just continues to be rather impressive this this little run that he's on and i i obviously you don't expect him like i you're not going to go into 2022 thinking yeah like a 1028 ops over you know 5 or 600 plate appearances or at bats is what i'm expecting right um but you you just watch him you know now you're you're getting deeper into this sample with him right so pitchers have had an opportunity to kind of see what he's doing and approach things differently 
and he's still hitting. He's still putting up these numbers. He's still not striking out, and it's just rather impressive. Have you, as we're now, you know, sort of getting well over the 150 plate appearance mark for him, are pitchers attacking him differently? Is he making adjustments? Is the league making adjustments? Have we seen any of that? Because when you kind of compare that to what we've been looking at with Patrick Wisdom, he's kind of ebbed and flowed, right? He had... Um, you know, he obviously started really hot hitting those homers. Then he kind of goes in slumps, but each time he kind of hits his way out of it, right? He's continued to make adjustments to keep his numbers to where he still has about an 840 OPS as, as this Philly series is over. But what is going on with Frank in that regard? So the scouting report on Frank, if you read articles on baseball perspectives or fan graphs, they describe him as being a heavy, dominant fastball hitter. And if we look on Baseball Savant, his run value against four seams is astronomical. It's unsurprisingly scaled down the best in Major League Baseball since he's debuted. That's how good he's been against fastballs. So that was never really questioned. What's questioned is can he hit breaking stuff? Can he hit off-speed stuff? And the anticipation was once you're able to get the book on Schwindel in, in the bigs and get that sequencing information, then you can use your breaking pitches optimally. So that's what we're going to see now in the next few weeks. Can Frank Schwindel adjust against breaking pitches? And to your question, has he seen more off-speed pitches? The answer is yeah. So in August, of all pitches he saw, he, he only saw about 9% off-speed pitches. He saw about 37% breaking pitches. So your sliders, for example, off-speed would be like change-ups and, and slow curveballs. So he's seen more uh, off-speed stuff, and he's seen a, still a heavy dosage of breaking stuff. And his value against those pitch types has not gone down. And his contact rate and his expected weight on base average has basically risen as he debuted, even going through the early parts here in September. His contact rate is above league average. And as you just pointed out, yeah, he only struck out one time in the last 40-ish or so plate appearances. And on that strikeout, it was a foul ball. So he may not even like count that. He literally fouled the ball and they called him, they called it a strikeout. So that's what you have to be looking for in the next few weeks is how pitchers continue to utilize their secondary pitches. And if he sees more uh, change-ups, if he sees more slow curveballs than he would otherwise see fastballs or maybe some hard-breaking cutters, sliders. And we're starting to see that a little bit more, but it is pitcher-dependent. So you know, it may, it may fluctuate here or there. The other interesting note about Frank that I, that I love, given how we've seen other pitchers Cubs hitters in the past struggle against these pitches. Frank is destroying high fastballs. His expected weight on base average against high fastballs is above 360. You think of guys in years past, Javi, for example, Schwarber, he adjusted this year, but he had trouble against high heat. It derailed David Bodie's career to the point that, you know, his role in 2020. To is, is we'll talk about that in a second. We will, yeah. which is uncertain. But you you at least know that 
if Frank's going to struggle, it's not going to be for the same reasons past Cubs hitters who've been successful couldn't adjust. And wisdom's a different conversation, but just to contrast the two, wisdom's expected uh, weighted on base average against those high fastballs is 0 58. So 58 versus above 360 for Frank Schwindel. And make that you know, what you want with, with Patrick Wisdom. I think he's a very unorthodox case. He's unique for a variety of reasons and that may not be a concern in the long run. But for Frank, it's a different set of concerns. And there's a growing, I wouldn't call it a consensus, but many people who believe that Frank could be a useful everyday starting first baseman. You read stuff, again, on like The Athletic or, or Fangrass. You see people hint at this. So that that piques my curiosity, and you see how that can mix with maybe an Alfonso Rivas platoon type next season, and you save money that way. Could be useful, Corey. But just to summarize things here, I think for the next few weeks, you have to own in on what is going on with those breaking pitches and those Osby pitches because that's likely going to be how Frank fails or succeeds in the next, not just this month here, but maybe the early parts of 2022 as well. Yeah. And just to reiterate kind of on one of the last points that you made, like our goal here when we're looking at a lot of these guys is not to help the Cubs save money, right? By identifying cheaper solutions. It is to look at someone like Frank Schwindel and say, can he be productive at first base so that the Cubs can spend more money in other spots, right? Uh, we're just, you know, again, for the millionth time, just kind of playing with the hand that we're dealt, right? Assuming that Jed is not going to have an unlimited budget. So can we find production in cheaper ways so that he can go spend, say, at shortstop or in the outfield or things like that, um, rather than having to fill so many positions all at once, right? So yeah, always I just mean, like Frank's to, not going to be the answer to like the problems. So to say, oh, you know, you can rely on Frank. He can be your number two hitter, your number three hitter, your number five or whatever. You end up projecting him for next year. That's not going to do it. Like they're still going to have to go out and spend money. It's just a matter of do I want to spend if they fifty million care to compete. Yeah. yeah. Well, at some point they're going to have to do it anyway, right. even if it's not 2022. Right. So it's a matter of do I want to spend money on first base and max out my budget by devoting a fraction of that to first base or accept league average to maybe above league average value first and completely blow out the starting free agent right. starting pitching free agent market that's the discussion we're talking about right yeah it's especially oh, with will. you know someone uh, at, at the place in frank's career his age and stuff like that his defensive limitations like the window is not going to be long for him to be a, no. a hugely productive player but perhaps you can get that in 2022 and surround him with other talented players to kind of make it all work together. Um, We don't have to delve too much into Patrick Wisdom, but we did bring him up uh, in that discussion. And I know we've talked about, you know, his his struggles and some of the adjustments that he's making. Um, But he did, uh, the the one thing that I do want to point out is that he did homer in Tuesday's game, and that does tie him with Chris Bryant for the Cubs franchise record for home runs by a rookie. And, you know, again, like we've talked about wisdom this entire year, and after the trade deadline, he, of course, has been one of the main highlights and things that we've had to talk about at all. But it it does just remain 
extraordinarily impressive what he has done. Obviously, when you're tying a franchise record and you're being put in the company of someone like Chris Bryant, who in 2015 won the Rookie of the Year, put up huge numbers, right? So it's it's not bad company to be in, but you're considering that Wisdom has done this. Like, he didn't start the year on the on the major league roster. He was called up in, yeah. in May, and has been doing this. So like it's it's just really impressive and all he has to do is hit one more home run over these last couple weeks here and he's going to own a franchise record for the Chicago Cubs uh, for home runs hit by a rookie. So like I said we've talked about his kind of ebb and flow as a hitter at the plate and and the kind of real hot stretches the lows, back to the highs, stuff like that, but absolutely worth congratulating him and spending the time to acknowledge that this is really impressive to have, at least for the moment, just tied this record. Yeah, man, and if you look at how many play appearances he has, 334. 334 play appearances, 26 home runs. That That's insane. If you assume that level of production continues, which right now, he has a 350 weight on base average, probably the top, I don't know, like 75th percentile projections for next year. I mean, that's remarkable. That's like a scale of 40 plus home runs, right? Now, this we'll get into it during the offseason, but it it's this is all to say too, and I know a lot of people might might want to give Patrick Wisdom a chance me being one of them at the current moment, still, you have to accept that volatility. Like with that 40 home run potential comes the potential that he kind of falls off the cliff, given that whiff, uh, whiff potential as, as well. But it's all to say, if he can be a staple, and there's good reason to think that given the home runs and the defense, then again, Corey, that's huge for this team. You, you, you are able to solidify a corner infield spot and use presumably that money elsewhere, again, on that starting pitching free agent market. So the fact that within these last seven weeks, you're able to get a a decent level of comfort knowing what you have going into 2022 with Wisdom and with Schwindel, that was not on my radar at, at all. I think Wisdom was kind of a fun story at first, but even I mean, I'm shocked we're even talking about wisdom in the context of, hey, can he hit 30 home runs right. this year and under 400 plate appearances? That is truly insane. And you have to give that man so much props to be going through these minor league stints with multiple teams. He's 30 years old and he's breaking out like this. There, ha- I mean, there, there's got to be some extra value to that. I don't know if that's going to say, oh, he's going to be sustainable, but you don't see many instances like this. So because of that, you have this like very variable projection, but you have to respect the guy. He, he deserves to be in a conversation of, should he be starting next year? Yeah, and it's, it's funny too. You and I texted, I think about this uh, a couple days ago maybe, where whenever we had our last like lengthy conversation about wisdom, I think our conclusion was, unless he just absolutely craters, right, you've got to consider him for a starting role because he's done this for uh, such a significant period now. And he kind of went on to really crater, right? Um, It's been a rough stretch. He had a, you know, sort of better series here in Philadelphia. 
Um, but he did really struggle, like almost to the level that it was exactly what we were suggesting, like he really just needed to right? Uh, hopefully, again, as he has throughout this season, he comes back out of it, goes on a hot stretch, and, you know, keeps his numbers, you know, somewhere in these mid-800s, right, for his OPS or something like that, breaks this rookie home run record, gets closer to 30, and all in all, it's, it's a really nice season. I, I think, you know, you can, again, in the context of whatever else they're planning on doing in the offseason, you can reevaluate these things and you can kind of see how you feel. At the very least, though, right, you've got a guy who you can give him significant playing time to. He's shown you that he can play really good defense at third base, and he's shown you that he can play in the outfield if you need him to. So it's all just to say, you know, not sure exactly what his role is going to be in 2022, but what you have is a guy who can play solid defense at a few positions, got that versatility, and he's got major power that he has shown you in, you know, not a full season here. So there is a role for that. There's no question about that. But I do want to spend at least a little bit of time on David Bodie. I know I just said that we would, so uh, that's part of the reason why I want to, but also we, we just haven't really talked about him a lot. Um, it has been a struggle in 2021 for David Bodie. He's had some injuries, obviously missed a good bit of time uh, after that shoulder injury against the Padres earlier in the year. But as we sit here now, um, after this Philly series, he's just short of 300 plate appearances at 294, a slash line of 191, 256, 318, uh, good for a 253 weighted on base average with a 57 WRC plus. Um, you know, look, Brendan, obviously he's on a cheaper contract, and, you know, at this point, I think you're only looking at him as depth, kind of a role guy, but this is uh, a pretty big letdown in terms of the production for David Bodie. We've, we've noted at times, too, he's a very weird defender in that he makes a lot of impressive plays sometimes, but he will routinely boot routine ground balls um, almost with ease and just a very kind of strange defender there. And, you know, so I guess my, my question to you is, what do you do with a guy who's cheap uh, but who, as of right now, is rating uh, well below replacement level at negative uh, 0.7 uh, wins above replacement. Again, that 57 WRC plus. I always said earlier in the year that I wanted to be fair when we were ragging on someone like Eric Sogard. You keep bringing that him I would up p- every episode. Every episode you say Well, Eric I'm trying to highlight how every bad David time. Bodie has been. It's like the third straight episode. What did I say? Well, no Eric Sogard. My well... God. I get it, but geez, man, it's a, it's a, it's, it's unfortunately a good comparison. Uh, so I guess it's you know like what do you do here going forward? And I guess I ask this question because we're looking at so many guys now, right? As we've traded since the trade deadline, and you've given guys opportunities. We've talked about guys like Mike, Michael Hermosillo, Alfonso Rivas, Rafael Ortega. Frank Schwindel, Patrick Wisdom, etc. We were, you know, just talking about what role, if any, does Brendan Davis have going into, you know, next year, right? At some point, you can only have so many guys who are role players or platoon players or, you know, maybe they get a, a significant share of playing time, but they're not necessarily like bona fide for sure everyday starters, right? You can only have so many of them. Does David Bodie really 
fit in that group anymore? Is he is he exciting you in any particular way over some of these other guys that there's going to be a spot for him, especially when you consider that even with that list of guys that I just mentioned, that didn't even include Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal. He's a bizarre case because he's drastically improved his contact rate since debuting, but his run value hasn't gone in the same upwards direction. It's gone the complete other direction. His expected weight on base average this year is an abysmal 305. It's no fluke he's performing this poorly. So I don't know what to make of the contact being improved, but the other way he's getting out is by these pitchers throwing a, a surplus of sliders relative to when he debuted in 2018. And his run value against that pitch right now is negative 10. If you look at most hitters in the league, they're not negative 10. There's only a few hitters in the league that are in that territory, and David Bodie is is one of them. So he's not hitting sliders. His expected weighted on base average against sliders is 190. His whiff rate against that pitch is almost 35%. It's way too high. He's not hitting those pitches. And the book on him was previously, let's throw up fastballs. He's going to whiff on those. And he made a few adjustments earlier on in the year before he got injured, but now he can't adjust against these sliders. And does he make sense for 2022? If you want to compete, you have to consider all your options, right? It's If he's going to take a roster spot away from projectable depth, then you know, you kind of have to bite your $3 million annual average value contract, which is what he has, and improve the team. That's the risk of signing a pre-arbitration player like Bodie for $15 million for five years. It's low risk, but it is $3 million. And at least in this past offseason, they had a shed budget, even with that type of minimum contract. So I don't know I don't know the answer to that. My patience is growing thin with Bodie. I think we've now seen multiple seasons, multiple samples, multiple adjustment periods where exploring other ways to improve that depth might be a possibility. And even with some of the weird defensive blunders this season, he's still like, you know, he rates as an above average defender. He can't play second base, he can't play third base. Personally, I do find that appealing. But I find searching for other depth options part of the conversation, too. I'm not committed to Bodie, but if you want to spend money elsewhere and you want to bolster this team, and if doing so means you have to keep David Bodie, I can see the logic for that. Yeah, I just, it, it's tough. And again, you know, a guy dealing with some injuries this year, so so it is tough. He's, you know, generally been closer to a league average hitter, Um was slightly below in 2018 in 210 plate appearances, uh, a bit above at 107 WRC plus in 356 plate appearances in 2019, 92 WRC plus, so a little below league average in the shortened 2020 season in 145 plate appearances. He has obviously shown the ability to have those clutch moments, be a good pinch hitter in certain spots, um, but this is a pretty dreadful 2021. Um, so I think that's going to come into play. I think it's a it's a worthwhile conversation. I mean, you can even throw Ian Happ into this group, right? They're all different guys. Some of them certainly older 
and you have to consider that and and not having as much of a track record. Some guys younger and a better track record, but you know, still kind of figuring things out. So it's a healthy mix of what the Cubs have, but I do think it's a worthwhile conversation because at some point you can't just be sitting here saying, yeah, this guy's interesting. Maybe he could have a role. Maybe he could have a role, right? There's only so many roster spots. Right. And at some point you're hoping the Cubs are going to be adding some some more stable talent to at least some of these positions right? So you're going to have to trim the fat somewhere. And I don't know if that'll be David Bodie. I don't know if it'll be some of these other guys, but I do think, you know, at some point you kind of have to say, okay, we can't just find 50 guys interesting and worthy of giving a shot to and stuff like that. So it's all just to say, I'm not sure that uh, David Bodie, you know, nearing being a, a full win below replacement level is going to do him any favors as we head to this offseason. Well, you look at someone too, like Matt Duffy, who has better contact, a better historical contact profile. You've seen him be above league average this year. And you have to ask the question, okay, does it make sense if you go out and bolster the team elsewhere through free agents, do you default to, uh, to, to Duffy and say, you know, it was fun while we had you, Bodie. Go try to make your name elsewhere. That That's a conversation, right? Yeah. And we don't, we're not going to know <laughs> or have like definitive opinions until we find out what this team does in the offseason, right? If they're going to go into 2022 and be like, oh, they're, you know, they're terrible. They're not going to improve. Then, okay, I guess, you know, I guess give Bodie another chance. I'm not going to be thrilled about it, but I can see the logic of it. But until we see what they do in the first, couple months, November, December. Sure. I don't know. This is going to be a crazy offseason with the CBA negotiations. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's it's a fair point, too. I mean, obviously, like, not that it, it wouldn't matter, but, like, you know, if you end up in this scenario where they're just blatantly not competing, they're going to spend very little money, et cetera, like, you know, whatever at that point, right? Like, you can try out whoever you want. At that point, I defer to younger guys and see what you have. If they're going to be super competitive, though, like a lot of this, you know, again, we talk about winning on the margins a lot. And that's where a lot of these discussions would come in. Which of these players do you believe are going to help you on those margins with which are worth keeping around because you still believe in something that they have? But I I do, uh, just before you preview this next series, want to touch on that that last note. Matt Duffy has played a lot better recently uh, when he came back from the injured list. It's been a weird season for him because when he earlier in the year when the Cubs were more competitive, he he was part of that group that kind of felt like they were really reinvigorating this lineup with their contact and their approach and lengthening the lineup a little bit around some of those more power-heavy guys. Uh, then got hurt. The Cubs season sort of, <laughs> uh, not a direct correlation, obviously, but at a similar time went uh, south pretty fast. And then when he came back, it was a bit of a struggle. But recently, it has been a lot better for Matt Duffy. Uh, his last 30 games, a 782 OPS with a 301 batting average. And last 15 games, a 286 batting average, a 333 on base percentage, and a 518 slugging percentage. So, you know, an OPS there closer to um, 850. So, better numbers for him. He had uh, a few home runs in this series against the Phillies. So, you know, again, not sure what the Cubs are thinking on that. He's another guy who is 30 years old. So, you know, what exactly are you valuing there? But for 
as important as the contact that he was able to generate earlier in the year seemed with the rest of that lineup and him looking a little better now, I do think, you know, he's again one of those guys who like, hmm, like, what do we think about him? Do we think there's a role for him? Um, You know, would he be a guy that would help you with having a better bench, having better depth in case guys get hurt next year, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's at least nice to see him kind of rebounding a little bit since he came back off the injured list so that he's at least potentially in those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I want to spend most of the offseason talking about like who's going to be our cleanup hitter for next season rather than who's going to fill out the 24 and 25th spot, even though they are important. But I'm just like, as we're talking about this, I'm like, oh, I'm like sick of talking there thinking about David Bodie and Matt, and Matt Duffy. Like, no offense to them, but like, I'm just ready to be talking about, you know, big players and filling these big gaps that we do have. And then talking about our current guys as like complimentary pieces, which should be a fair projection for, for many of them. All right. So let's preview the upcoming series against Milwaukee. Uh, Friday game in Milwaukee, seven ten p.m. start time. We have Zach Davies on the mound for the Cubs. Uh, Davies sucks. He has a six and eleven record, a five point four ERA. Can't believe he survived being on the Cubs this long, but here we are. He's still in the Cubs, and I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know why, but he's still in the Cubs. Uh, he'll be facing Adrian Hauser for Milwaukee. Hauser this season is 9-6, and six, a 3.25 ERA. Every single Milwaukee starting pitcher seems to be having an ERA or a career year that's like ERA's 3.5 and below. It's crazy. So Hauser takes the mound for Milwaukee on Friday night. They're back at it on Saturday. We have Justin Steele. Taking the ball for the Cubs, he is three and three, a four point one seven ERA. He'll be facing Cy Young candidate Corbin Burns for the Brewers this season. Burns is ten and four, but has a very low two point two five ERA. That game starts at six fifteen p.m. Central, and then to finish off this three game set, Adrian Sampson. Gets the ball for the Cubs this season. He's 1-2, a 2.53 ERA. He'll be facing Eric Lauer for Milwaukee, who is 6-5, a 3.1 ERA. Milwaukee this season is 89-57. That starting pitching staff is no joke. They exceeded projections once again. They exceeded our projections astronomically. And here they are. The Cubs are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, and Milwaukee's competing for 100-plus wins and a World Series uh, potential berth, Corey. This is our reality now. Well, no, hopefully not on that part. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, same stuff, really. I mean, just, you know, hoping that some of these guys continue to look good. Um, Justin Steele, of course, someone we're, we're keeping an extra close eye on. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm I'm not so concerned about this series, Brendan. It's going to be those two Cardinals series because the rest of the teams in the National League wildcard chase have cratered so badly that the Cardinals are a playoff team right now, and we just can't have that. So it's going to be on Frank Schwindel and the boys to uh, keep the Cardinals oh out of the playoffs can with those. Can you can you imagine like a uh, Milwaukee St. Louis NLCS? Why would you even speak that? Because I'm a sick human yeah. being. Well, I'm, then we're I'm rooting disgusting. for the American League. I don't, you know, at that point. Oh, 
I don't know what choice we have. Well, hopefully Chris just saves us with the Giants, and they just are the team that represents the NL. (laughs) I can't do this postseason, man. This is going to be too hard. Brendan, I hate to break this to you, but your other options are going to be the Brewers, potentially the Cardinals, or the Dodgers. I mean, I guess maybe the Braves, but... You know, I think I'm going to defer go to for KB being happy. Uh, I, I want him to be happy, but not too happy. Just a little bit happy. Not, like, super happy. All right, so fine. They get in and lose to the Rays or something All in right. the World Series. Well, I, no, I don't want him. Oh, I feel bad saying this, but, like, it's going to hurt if he goes back to the World Series. Like, NLCS I'm okay with, but, like, anything other than that, I don't know. Well, then, then what I'm saying, though, is that you're you're left with the Braves to win the National League. I know I am. Because I gonna, know that you despise every other team I do. that is in contention here. So I'm going to go buy a Braves hat if I need to. Well, no. I don't think we're going to go that far. But, um, yeah. Anyway, I think that is what we have for you. I'm sure this will be a riveting weekend of Cubs and uh, Brewers baseball here. It, it you know it because they blew a seven run lead tonight, and I was looking at it, and they're like 24 games out of first place. The Cubs. It that it's kind of bringing this episode full circle about what we talked about in the beginning about how it kind of feels like it's gone by quick, and how there's been different portions of this season and they feel so drastically different like that Arietta start in Milwaukee where they blew the seven run lead and that kind of like really you know uh wow. signaled the trade deadline and all of that you know they Full were circle. I think after that game I think they were six games out right yeah. and it's it's just wild to look at that and think like at that moment they were a series away basically from being in contention for first place and maybe changing their whole path at the deadline. And now they're like 24 games out of first place. It's just wild how quickly that happens. You look at the team and how they played. It's not surprising. I'm not like surprised by it. But there's just the stark difference in how quickly it happens and how close it seemed at the time, right? And how pivotal that game seemed to them being in first place. And now we're like laughing at the, at the thought of like them competing for anything. And we're talking about, you know, can they get a top six draft pick, right? It's just crazy how that changes and how we get here. But Anyway, I think that's what we have for you guys. As always, thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We appreciate it. We will talk to you on Sunday when the Cubs finish up with the Brewers. And as always, thank you and go Cubs.